Hi, everyone, and welcome to Progressive Opinions of Color, a podcast that seeks to create space for people of color in conversations about economics and politics. I'm your host, Nancy Wu, and today we have a special guest for you, Farah Sue, but she is one of my best friends from high school, from middle school, and she is one of the coolest people I know. I say that like totally seriously. She has done everything and she'll tell you all about her life story. And we'll talk a lot also about tech like cybersecurity and her work in automation and self-driving cars and a lot of speculative thinking on what's going to happen in the future of technology and automation. Also how to protect your privacy and a lot of things that I did not know about. So lots of tips there. All the links will be down below. And if you like this podcast, make sure to write a review on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and subscribe on whatever platform you use. And now let's get the conversation started. Today, I have Farah on the podcast. Farah is my friend from all the way back in middle school or something. We met in church and then banned freshman year of high school. And we've just been hanging out since. And Farah has traveled the world, lived everywhere, and including like international waters on a cruise ship and is now a DJ and also works in tech. And you can introduce yourself. Why don't you introduce yourself? (laughs) So I'm Farah. Um, I do work in tech currently. So I guess we can start from here and move backwards. Um, Previously, I did work for a cruise line um, and I was living living on the seven seas uh, for a little bit. And right before then, I spent five years in Taiwan where I also um, got my degree. And before that, um, I was living in California, <laughs> living it up with Nancy Wu. <laughs> and then yeah. before that, I was living in Japan. So, <laughs> And I don't think the journey ever ends, really, because uh, currently I'm in, I'm in Las Vegas, but who knows where I'll be next. <laughs> Tell me your thought process behind like moving to these different countries and then moving from one country to like the cruise ship and then doing music and then like Las Vegas. How does one have your mind? <laughs> I think I just like to go out and explore and uh, see see kind of just where the world takes you. Um, there's lots of opportunities out there, um, definitely. And there's there's dif- different cultures, different live experiences, different people to meet. Um, so I think I think just sometimes when you need like a fresh of breath. Or, or wait, a breath of fresh air. <laughs> that it's really easy to just kind of like pack up your things and then just move somewhere and then learn learn something new that helps you later on. Um, I think one of the first things I ever did um, as a job was cooking, and um, and that was what my first degree was in, and so in culinary arts. And you know, I think it's just useful life skills that you'll have forever. Vera's, I told Vera this, like she's literally the coolest and most interesting person I know, has the most experiences out of anyone I know, and just like completely opposite skills from anything that I have. Like I'm very much like a conventional success story in terms of like good job, like college, whatever. But Vera has all the experiences. Like Vera knows so many people. So let's talk about your time in Asia first, to start from the beginning. Yeah, so I moved to Japan when I was 15 and I was there for a year and it really helped me, really helped me with a lot of social experience. I think being on my own and then being, um, getting that fresh start, it's really, it, it really helps you kind of build whatever identity you want and figure out who you want to be. There's never, 
a second chance to make a first impression. So <laughs> I think I, I try to carry that with me to a lot of these countries that I visit or new people that I visit. Um, Japan, culture-wise, is very, very different from America. So I think um, with that, um, it really helped me stand out in a way. People would recognize that I wasn't from there <laughs> right off the bat. And then um, learning about so many different ways to live and learning the language at the same time was also um a pretty a pretty big experience for um a teenager <laughs> but it's great that i've had so many international friends um from that experience that um we still we still keep in touch with and i'm still able to you know any country that i go to um it's good to have a friend in <laughs> um and then when i was 18 I moved to Taiwan right after I had gotten my associates here in California. I moved to Taiwan to just uh, just try to learn the language. Um, I always regretted not keeping up with it when I was young, um, even reading and writing and speaking. So I thought it could be a little more fluent. And um, living in Taiwan, I... So it was really funny because both in Taiwan and Japan, I lived in really, really rural areas and um, out in the middle with the rice fields type of deal. Not really close to any, um, not really close to the city and um, not really close to a lot of public transportation like, you know, our, our trains and our subways or anything like that. So it really opened my eyes up to... Um, a lot of things I didn't like <laughs> as an adult. So as, as like an, a grown adult and, um, you know, thinking about where, where I'm going to live and where I'm going to relocate, I definitely know the things that I don't want. <laughs> Everything is so much farther away and um, travel time is real because even though I did go to school or, you know, I lived in really um, outside the city every time I would have to go out, you know, it's, it's like a two hour drive. Like think, think like how, we live in Rancho, but we have to go to downtown LA. <laughs> just, just kind of like that. It's, it's pretty draining. And just, uh, I think there's a lot more excitement and opportunity in the city. So that's usually where I'm drawn to. I went to school in Taiwan and then um, I spent about four years in Kaohsiung and then one year in Taipei. And it wasn't really until I started working full-time in Taiwan that, um, that, that I really picked up my Chinese. Um, and so being able to work there, <laughs> uh, especially in customer service, it definitely is a different kind of experience. Um, I think that's also something that speaks a lot to different cultures, um, just being able to see what their definition of hospitality is in different countries, you know, from Japan to Taiwan to, to the U.S., um, and back then, hospitality was a big uh, hospitality management was a big part of uh, my career and and my studies. You have done everything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I could talk about that. Um, I started off as a cook for Disneyland, and then I was a cake baker for eighty five degrees, <laughs> my favorite bakery. <laughs> and then after what? That, that was so good. Yeah, I decorated the cakes. Wait, I didn't know you did that. Yeah, I, I did. I, I helped uh, the Chino Hills opening. 
Oh, it was one of the first uh, 85 degree bakeries to to branch out aside from our Irvine one. Remember, we only had that one for the longest time um, before. Yeah, that was the one we went to. Yeah, we would always go there. Remember when we used to drive all the way like 30 minutes out for Boba? (laughs) Vera, Isaac and I were part of the No Curfew crew and we would drive in high school like half an hour to go to Roland Heights just to get Boba because we didn't have Chinese or Asian snacks in Rancho where we were. And we just hung out at night and we were like the kids who had families who like didn't care if we came back at any time or whatever and bonded over that. Yeah, we bonded over so much. And then, I mean, after all that, we would drive, we'd always uh, on top of the mountains and looking over the city lights or like yeah. the and watch the stars and then just talk about life. <laughs> I feel like that's what made us like really independent. You and I have been away from Rancho the most, I think, out of people that we know from our group. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like out of almost most of my friends that I know, I don't think... Um, They've, they've like lived in other countries and really uh, spent a lot of time there um, other than people in the military, I suppose. But <laughs> I guess most people don't just decide to, you know, <laughs> upend their entire life and uh, move to somewhere new. But I think I think for me, a lot of it was I just I just needed a break. <laughs> After the cake decorating, what happened next? So I was a bartender in tai- in Taiwan and um so I worked for the W for for about a, a good year and it was it was a lot of fun um seeing that side of the country um it definitely is a lot different from Kaohsiung and even though even though that's the second largest city in in Taiwan um it was just two very different uh wavelengths I think it's like comparing like like someone trying to compare like the culture of San Francisco to Los Angeles. Like, sure, there's there are two major cities, but one of them is is you know it's still going to be a little bit different, even people wise or fashion wise or standards. Um, so it, it was really fun. I also working at an international hotel. I got to meet a lot of international people, um, and I got to got to meet a lot of really really good friends, even like co-workers, customers. And I think that's the biggest thing I miss about being in customer service is just the the range that you get. And um and I think I could talk about more of that <laughs> when I when I bring up um my my past as a DJ. So being a DJ was definitely a very, very social job. Um and I was at for five years or so. I can't remember now. Was that what you did right after? Um, right. So right after bartending, um, because I, I felt like a lot of the nightlife is all intertwined and a lot of, you know, hospitality, working in restaurants, hotels, um, even ships, it's it's all kind of intertwined and it, it is a small world. It's a small industry. Once you get to know enough people, um, especially when you're only on one side of the world for a, for a time. So, and how I got roped into, into spinning, <laughs> was uh, I had friends that were already doing it and then um, friends and the networks and then um, also people that I would train um, at the gym with for for uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu you know half of them were also in the business of nightlife and DJing and so it, it all kind of just connected and one thing led to another and um, 
And I just, I just never said no, I suppose. I think that was my motto in life. I never said no. And it just took me to a bunch of places that I could never have dreamed of. But thinking back now, kids, you should definitely say no to, to, to some things. (laughs) (laughs) Not like a life model or anything. No, definitely say no (laughs) to, to certain choices. But for me, it kind of just got me to where where I was. And that's how I ended up DJing at, um, you know, local bars and clubs. And then eventually that's how I got set up with my uh, with my job as a DJ. And so as soon as um, I went through the interviews and signed the contract, I was out of there. (laughs) And that was my life at sea. Um, which which turned out to be even more international um, somehow than than my previous experiences. Um, but getting to meet people from all over the world um, while we were sailing was was definitely um, really really memorable. It was a DJ experience that transferred you over, and it was like just not saying no to new opportunities. It's like a cruise ship came up, and you're like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and to be honest, I think it was a little bit always my mom's dream that I worked on a cruise line. <laughs> now now that I now that I think about it. Um and and my parents actually they they were right. It was it's true. I'm being on ship life was so different. Um I had my own cabin. You know, you have a housekeeper, you have um like your officer mess, uh, you have people that just take care of everything for you. You don't have to think about anything like rent or bills or cars. You don't have to think about internet. Um, I had, uh, nobody uses their phones, um, other than to take pictures because that's, and, and there's a lot. So when you live on a ship, there is a lot, a lot of quality bonding time. Um, mostly through, 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 drinking alcohol but um because there's this not like any anybody else is going to be doing anything you know there's there's no facebook or anything (laughs) that you're going to be distracted by um i mean i knitted i played sudoku a lot um, (laughs) and i hung out with my friends almost every night because you you also live with your friends and so they become your family and um I think I think it's I think it's really great to be able to just get away like that and just disconnect from the real world. You know, nobody really ever knows um what day of the week it is. Um Whoa. and if you're lucky or maybe unlucky, you had a pager and that was about it. <laughs> and so you, you know, you just um sometimes you see people, sometimes you don't and it's just kind of like a very go type of environment. Um, except for the whole waking up in a different time zone and a different day. And <laughs> that's always, <laughs> that's always the funnest to figure out your work schedule when you wake up three hours different. <laughs> Wait, I have never heard you describe it like that before. That sounds really awesome to just be just yeah. in the world. I think I haven't talked a lot about my, my ship life. Um, uh, I, I did really, it was really hard to get out of it. And I think that's something that a lot of people kind of um, end up, you know, you, you meet people that that spend about like a decade uh, working working on these cruise lines, working on the ships, and it it really is a lifestyle that once you get used to, you just um, you you kind of don't want to leave. <laughs> it's it's a it's a pretty good deal, um, and it and it can be hard readjusting back back to land life. 
And I, I really wanted to go back for for a long time. And I had I had the offers and I had the opportunities too. But I'm really glad um, being here and kind of facing the real world. It does um, it does make me open my eyes and see that there's a lot more opportunities here. Um, whereas on the ship, it was just more comfortable. And here is you mean Vegas? So after that. Um, I thought about it for a really long time. Um, to be honest, I was a little, I was a little burnt out. Um, working on a working on a ship, there are no weekends, and everyone's style was very different. So being a DJ, it was difficult to kind of, um, kind of accommodate every single type of passenger from every different kind of country. So I think everyone has a different, everyone has a different idea of what their ideal nightlife is. And even entertainment wise, you have to really tap into the market and really recognize uh, your audience and being able to, um, you know, fulfill whatever they need and whatever they're looking for. Um, So it was to be really versatile, I guess, Um, music wise. um, There is just everything from all over the world. And um, after being a full-time DJ for, for so long and for, you know, a few years, I kind of decided that I needed something different and tech. I've always been interested in one thing just led to another (laughs) story of my life. (laughs) So I, my last degree that I ended up getting was in cybersecurity, um, specifically in digital forensics. So I think I was just, um, I've always just been inspired by um, a lot of people that I look up to in life. And um, and being an adult made me realize that you can do whatever you want to. That's something I think um, I didn't know as a kid. You know, you, if you see something that you like as an adult, you are an adult and you can do that. And you can, you can pretty much just do what you, whatever you want. And I think being an adult is great because you have the freedom to do that. Whereas, you know, as a child, you're kind of just groomed. You're kind of just um, taught to be inside a box. Um, but the possibilities out there are, are really endless. Like, it's so crazy that you can be a DJ, that you can be an actor, that you can um, just decide that, you know, you want a career change, just do that. And it's never really too late. That's really awesome advice that I feel like a lot of the listeners, including myself, need to hear. Like, I mean, we're talking to our friends here right now. It's like, <laughs> shit comes up and you got to take it. And I really admire that you have taken all of these choices and just like learned so much. It's like, you have so many experiences I and mean, you've met so many people through it. So that's something I'm really curious about. How was it like making friends in various places? I know you like, you can step into a club and like five girls will like give you your number. But like, besides that, that's WeHo life. Like in other parts of the country, in other countries on the ship, like how do you fit in? How do you find your group of people and how, what is that process like? How is it different across different places that you've been? That's so funny <laughs> because I was a DJ. There's so many ways you could open with that, um, especially when you're working a night. Uh, 
But how do you find your people? I think there are some people that you just look at and you you can just tell the vibes are there. I think it's that that's that's essentially what it all comes down to. And even from when we met when we were like 13 years old, like you just know sometimes, right? Like you just you just kind of click with somebody and you kind of know that they're they're vibing on the same wavelength as you are and you guys all have kind of similar goals and ideas of the world. <laughs> And it doesn't even matter what country you come from. Like some of my my lifetime friends, like my family, they they were, I met them in Japan, um, and they were from all over the world. And then even when on the when I was on the ship, I have uh, so many friends um, from from Asia and Canada and and Europe. <laughs> and I think it it all has to do with um, perspective. And being able to be open with others. So I think, I think you know, friendship and um, meeting people and making those connections is definitely a two-way street, right? There, People are going to be as open with you as you are with them. Yeah, you kind of have to put yourself out there. Whereas for me in a new place, I'm like, okay, I will just approach, I will just wait for you to approach me. I'm not going to approach you. And then people are like oh, my first impression of you is that you're intimidating. So I didn't approach you. I'm like, well, yeah, this is why I have like a few close friends. <laughs> and it's not even because I'm like that introverted. I feel like I'm more extroverted, actually. I really like people. I really like loud places and like crowds and just like energy. Um, but I'm kind of apathetic to it. I'm just realizing now talking to you that like you do have to be open. It is a two-way street. Some self-exploration right there. Um, because like people like you, me and Isaac, I feel like we do, uh, every time we go out, we do end up, um, you know, talking to a lot of people and we do meet a lot of people and we, we, we are always the ones that are out there in the city and, um, we're the ones being loud and we're the ones, um, (laughs) who are in crowded, crowded places and we're all, I mean, you consider yourself more extroverted, um, I I don't know. For me, I think it's always been a struggle. It's been 50-50. It's also about putting yourself out there. You know, it's kind of like even, I mean, we're talking social-wise, but if you think about like job interviews or any sort of auditions, um, you you have to go out there and you have to be your best self or be the best self that other people want to see, right? You have to smile at someone to get a smile back. (laughs) You're really good in performing situations like you're a good performer like you can act you can dj you can cook you can bartend you can do all of these things where like there's an audience for you and meet people that way i guess for me i'm i take action when it's something that's completely in my control and like it doesn't have to see the world like making a podcast Mm -hmm. making a book Uh, your position is more definitely more um stable and it's definitely a lot safer like you know when we're talking about conventional success um i mean that is great i mean that's that's you know (laughs) we're both asian you know that's the that's the that's the dream that you're taught from a young age you grow up to be a doctor and a lawyer because it's the best it's the safest (laughs) profession and um you'll have a nice um stable life (laughs) we talked about how when I visited you in Vegas, we talked about how I lived my life becoming my parents' trophy child. And I am their trophy child now because I am, like, I check all the boxes of successful for my age. Um, and I'm just realizing a few years ago, starting last year, that, like, a lot of things are not things that I actually want. And trying to work towards those things while simultaneously keeping the stability. So making creative things like a podcast while keeping my job 
and things like that, just slowly kind of like merging away from parental expectations. But it seems like parental expectations never really like held you down. Like what was your, what do you think your mom and like your caretakers played a role in your choices in life? Um, yeah, I, I think they realized that I was, um, a very different kid from the beginning. And I don't know, my mom being a single mom raising us, um, I think she just had too, too much on her plate anyways. That's why we're kind of given that sort of freedom. I I like the fact that my mom is pretty open-minded about, um, certain career choices and she's pretty open-minded about, um, you know, the definition of success, because that really is such like an objective word. Um, how do you define it? I mean, you call me the most, most successful person, you know, but I call you the most successful person I know. And exactly. we talked about how all, all of success is really just relative. <laughs> and perspective definitely plays a very key role. And I think what's really important is being happy. Um, and I, and I know that's such an understatement because we all have bills to pay, but, um, going back to how you were saying, there's a few things you're just now realizing, or a few years ago, just realizing that it's not really what you wanted, but I think it's okay to have, it's always okay to have a safety net. Um, you know, all your education and everything that you've accomplished, those will always be there. And those will always be experiences that you have under your belt, um, but it's, it's important to have, you know, hobbies that make you money as well. So, you know, it's okay to have hobbies for fun. It's okay to have, um, hobbies that pay the bill, but, um, ultimately, you know, you don't want to be so, uh, one-sided <laughs> that you can't be a three-dimensional person. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm afraid, um, I'll get bored. And so there's definitely a lot. Um, and you know, when, when you're young, you know, it's, it's like how people take a gap year after high school before they start college. It's really important to discover what you like before declaring a major that you're going to be locked into for the rest of your life. Right. And I say, you know, I mean, for me, I have like I have a few degrees and that's because I was interested in different things at different ages in my life, you know? Um, and I think, it, things change as you grow too. Um, before I always thought, you know, cooking was going to be my whole life. Um, culinary arts, hospitality, all of that. I really thought so. And then even music wise, I thought, I thought that was going to be my whole life. And then I realized, you know, but wait, I actually really enjoy, um, being in tech and, um, keeping up with things that are changing and constantly evolving. So, you know, I really think this is the one for me. And because with tech, things are never going to, um, things are never going to stop, right? You can, and in most things in general, you're never going to be able to stop learning. And that's the beauty of it all. You just get to keep on going and there's always something to chase after and something more to learn and room for improvement, right? I really relate to that. I'm curious. I want to talk about um, your experiences in tech, but first I want to ask, like, what do you think motivates you? And so it's a lame question, but for example, what motivates me ultimately, I've discovered this about myself is being on this earth, accumulating as much knowledge as possible. Like I want to learn as much there as there is to learn about any subject. And it's very much like insular. It's like, I don't have to be in different places, but I would like to go there. But like, ultimately I can be in a room with books and be happy. Um, and to just like, read as much as possible and find beauty in language, find beauty in art. That is my motivation in life. 
What is yours? What motivates me is being the best version of me that I can. You know, like it's like having a 2.0 and thinking back to, yeah, what I did last year was cool, but you know what I'm doing this year? Somehow it's even cooler. And that makes me, that makes me very happy because I know for a fact that I am improving myself. And um, there is like, I kind of have like this, um, like a casual bucket list, um, just things I want to do, not before I kick the bucket, but just in general, like things I, I've like, I want to do. And so I just go, um, I just go through them. And that, that's kind of what keeps, uh, what keeps me going, you know, um, like one of the big things on there, um, and they're just like little things, it's not like skydiving or anything, but one of the things on there, you know, was, um, seeing the Northern lights. <laughs> and so I was able to do that a couple of years back and that was really great. Or, um, you know, going to the concert of one of my favorite musicians. And so just like seeing someone like perform a song live, just like re- very little things, standard things that I think they, they keep me going. Um, like being able to go to EDC for once, that's, you know, as, as a, as a one-time experience, like just to try it out. I think that was, that was really neat too. And I think it's just like the little things that make your whole life complete. Right. (laughs) I feel like you've definitely done cooler things year after year and it's like moving to new things. So now you're in Vegas and you're working in tech. It has opened the world to me and, uh, oh my gosh. So I, I think I told you, I mentioned that like, uh, another part of what like really motivates me in life is just having like um, something to look forward to and people to look up to. Um, so people that can make you your best self and then people that can really inspire you and, and to motivate you eventually, um, ultimately. So with tech, I think I was, I was inspired by a lot of people that I looked up to that, um, you know, are doing really, really great things and changing the, this world um, for the better. And um, I was really lucky to kind of just fall into this. But then um, my passions, I mean, my passions right now, if you asked me 10, uh, 10 years ago, there's no way I would have told you that I would be into, you know, machine learning and AI and um, all of this that worked right now on the brink of and you know with autonomy and cybersecurity, i think those things go hand in hand um, for our future and nobody really knows what the next chapter will look like but i think it's so fortunate that we're able to live in this day and age where um, we might be uh, some of the only people to see you know two industrial like industrial booms in our lifetimes and those don't really come (laughs) that often but with the you know progression of phones and computers and cars, I mean everything is almost um, uh, going in that direction nowadays. And um, have you seen the the latest iPhone release where they've included a lidar? <laughs> no, I haven't. Wait, a lidar? It, like like a radar, but it uses lasers instead. And so this oh. is so. And and I joked about this with my friends. I said, you know, light, lidars are becoming mainstream nowadays. And this is just how fast that this world is adapting, and we're seeing all of these things happen uh, all at once, almost. So there is really always a need for evolving tech and features, and definitely security. So with lidars, uh, light image detection and range. It's always previously been used to um, scan the scan the surroundings of an environment to kind of put together a picture. 
but on the iPhone, um, now that they've included it on it, who knows what it's really going to be used for. Um, there are a lot of speculations for um, photography, but mostly for um, augmented reality, uh, especially, I think, um, just with all of this happening at once, we can see a lot of really cutting edge tech in 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 the hands of you know the general population. So that's really neat because everybody's going to have access to all of this. Um, where, but on the other hand, I think you know the safety and the security of it is a whole another discussion discussion that people like to have nowadays. You know, with all of this happening so fast, how can we how can we protect our privacy in the future? Right. <laughs> Yeah, how do we? Because right now, like, it's like when people complain about their coronavirus GPS coordinates getting tracked, I'm like, dude, you're all your stuff is getting tracked by having a Facebook or having a smartphone. So, right. is that a risk? Like, what are, what kind of risk are we talking about, and what is there to come that's like even scarier? Right, and the scariest part is that you don't even have to have a Facebook or um or a cell phone or a smartphone uh, today in order to be tracked. Um, if you even live within civilization, I would say, you you are already on the radar. Uh, if you have a neighbor that has Facebook, you know, if you've ever applied for a credit card, all of those things. Um, and with, you know, social credit becoming more and more of a reality, we do have to <laughs> take a good look at things and um, see where we're going to stand. For example, even my printer is subscription-based. So everything, you know, everything in your house, your fridge, your microwave, um, TVs, you know, not just the TV and computer parts, uh, these are always constantly online and being um, can be connected. So that always poses as like a security risk already, right? Mm -hmm. We can do, there are a few things we can do, I think, to protect ourselves. Um, and there are definitely a lot of, you know, passive versus active safety measures that we can take for uh, social media, like Facebook is a good one. You know, before you post pictures, make sure you always scrub the metadata. <laughs> In this day and age, I wouldn't really post pictures of, you know, if you had children or your babies or anything like that. Uh, those are so easy to get a hold of. Wait, what do you mean by scraping metadata off photos? So when you take a picture, uh, it, it captures all the details, like the time, date, location, um, resolution, all of that. And um, and it shows where it comes from as well. So it's, it is it is really um, dangerous to post all of that information if, if it isn't to the general population, especially on the internet. And when it's, once it's on the internet, it's everywhere. Um, so it is better safe than sorry to just uh, erase all the properties from it. Um, That's why we have so many stalkers. That's why all our stalkers know where we live. <laughs> For real? <Yeah. laughs> and yeah, and when, you know, when you're at home and using the computer, like definitely invest into a VPN. I mean, that's most people do nowadays, thankfully. So I think um, these are just some of like the basic steps that we can take. For people that don't want to scrub metadata, just, uh, just take a screenshot. That also helps too. You know, take a screenshot of a picture or just take a picture of a picture and that that also oh. yeah i do that sometimes so what are the risks here because i'm thinking like okay all my shit is public there's celebrities out there who have everything public like what they haven't died yet what's the worst that could happen like 
Well, if everyone's out there, then no one's really like. If everyone's the same boat, then is anyone at risk? Like, if everyone's at the same risk, then what's right, the risk? Right. Everyone is at the same risk, and a lot of people think that they aren't. But as if you have a name and a date of birth, you are already at risk. I mean, those are all crucial information, uh, cru- crucial pieces of information that people or cyber criminals like to go after. And um, nowadays, I mean, cybercrime. Uh, is evolving so fast that you know a lot of a lot of countries can't really keep up with this, and you know the the payoff is is significantly more than physical bank robberies. And you know why why go out and rob a bank when you can sit in the comfort of your room in your pajamas and then you know uh, access all the funds from there? <laughs> the business of information is the best business to be in right now, and especially to cyber crim- criminals. Um, and most uh, most major retail sites or websites that we access, they are always constantly under attack, even nowadays, um, as we use them. So, um, and most breaches are data breaches, especially you know uh, things like names, birthdays, passwords. Um, all of those are usually financially motivated uh, by cyber criminals, whether it be through selling that data or, you know, blackmailing. So that's where automation comes into play. People do want to see a lot faster responses. So, and and containment and if it can be prevented, of course. So that's where we go from like passive safety measures to active safety measures. Um, passive is, you know, anything you can do to protect yourself, um, the steps that you can take, but once the wall is breached, now you have to fight back. And what can you really do then? Um, and how can you increase your response rate to contain the breach? And that's where I think, yeah, a lot of auto- automation is coming into hand. So there's a lot of passive versus active safety measures to take when it comes to cybersecurity. Vulnerabilities are everywhere to a cyber criminal if they really look hard enough. Uh, just like how a major casino here in the Strip was hacked through their fish tank just because it was something that they had overlooked. So it really goes to show that anything is possible for better or worse. Um, active safety is just taking the first step in identifying the threats and eliminating risks so that you're not sitting around waiting to react to outside situations. And so a lot of you know passive uh, passive safety measures we can take is just um, being able to do uh, being able to protect ourselves as much as we can before our before the walls are breached. And so it kind of goes back to what I was mentioning about you know make sure you scrub your metadata, make sure you protect your credit cards when you go out, and make sure you know you keep your phones in a Faraday bag if necessary because those are all things um, that can protect you if something happens. So now that if something does and those walls are breached, we have to think about the next step, which is how we can use technology to our advantage and um, contain that breach. So ultimately, we want to have fully automated responses when it comes to you know detection and response systems. So and that that way it saves time. Computers are always going to be faster than humans, and they will always be there. They will always be alert, um, and that's just the same with computers driving a car, it can go forever. Whereas, you know, you and I will probably need uh, to rest at some time. Every piece of technology we'll have in the future will be under attack constantly. So we're always going to need something, um, a better line of defense and a better response time.
And networked devices are everywhere too. If you think about not just our cars and microwaves and fridges, <laughs> um, even my printer is um, on the network and even that is subscription based, which is how I believe, uh, which is how I see cars, any type of vehicle will be in the future. Um, I mean, you mentioned your Tesla, right? And you mentioned how you like the fact that you don't have to, you don't have to do any maintenance on it. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of the goal, um, to make the user experience so efficient and so easy that, that they're able to afford it and to be able to jump on board with the idea. And so with vehicles, I think if we all went subscription-based and electric, um, things could change a lot in the future with, um, in terms of uh, road efficiency, you know, uh, road safety. Uh, imagine not having to pay for your own insurance anymore. Um, you wouldn't have to worry about parking, maintenance, anything like that in the future as well. That's a really good idea, like subscription-based, because like no one needs a car for life. Like you want to change it up and like... And guarantee that the car will always be available to you or you'll always be able to schedule it. Imagine how much, it could, how many, imagine even like a city like Los Angeles could save on parking in one year. Imagine, uh, you know, imagine living in a future with no traffic, essentially. And um, of course, no maintenance, no insurance to take care of, uh, anything that happens, no speeding tickets as well. You know, you, you, there's there's a lot to, to consider um, that would be really beneficial to the world um, at that point. Um, and all of our cars are nowadays are connected, you know, whether it's through Wi-Fi or GPS or even satellite radio. It's easy to think about how they would all operate on one interface in the future. Um, but of course that's going to come with time and um, we'll have to we'll have to see how future cities are built to kind of adapt to this sort of infrastructure and how even highways um, will look like, you know, whether we start with, you know, like carpool lanes, we'll have autonomous lanes or uh, will they be, will, will all these vehicles be geofenced so that they'll be able to switch over to a different sort of driving when we're on the highway um, where there are no pedestrians around, you know, um, I think it's interesting to think about for me, um, you know, I ask people like what I ask people all the time. What if you didn't have to wait at a stoplight, a red light in the middle of the night when there's no other cars around and you're still waiting there for five minutes? <laughs> I think those that also goes towards efficiency. And then, um, you know, and I ask people, well, what if uh, what if we didn't have a speed limit on highways, <laughs> especially? <laughs> Because we can guarantee that these cars will be safer than any other human driver out there. And, you know, with a faster reaction time and with a, a full 360 um, degree of vision, which is all, all, all of these things that we don't have as humans. Do you think it's possible? Like, how does it, how does that compete with like Tesla and like other companies? Like all the cars have to behave the same way. They all have to share the same, like, I can just imagine so many ways it will go wrong. And then like, what if China like hacks all the cars and everything just crashes into each other? I'm so scared of like trying to hacking into Tesla. It definitely is. But, um, and, and people definitely have this kind of fear. Uh, and I hear this, I hear this like almost every day, but what you have to think about is these cars are actually equipped with more security. Um, they're held to a higher security standard than any other car. Um, yes, they could hack your Tesla, but honestly, 
they could hack any other car out. They could hack that Toyota down the street as well. So, so why not? You, you, do you know what I mean? And, and you say that, but every, anything can be hacked, right? They could hack all China could hack all, all Tesla's. Here's what you're saying, but um, if they wanted to, why not hack all the planes? Why not hack all the flights? You, you know, that's so true. Yeah, that's a good point. And when it comes to autonomous vehicles, you know, they go from a scale of one through five. Um, scale of one through five from, you know, partial automation or zero automation to full automation. And, um, you know, most of our cars nowadays, what people, I think a lot of people don't realize is that we are already operating on some sort of form of autonomy in, in our everyday lives. And so it's, it's already becoming part of our lifestyles now. And even in vehicles, you know, even, even cruise control is considered to be, um, uh, the first step of automation. And, you know, from there on, we get to adaptive cruise control and then we get to um, cars being able to uh, perform all driving functions um, with or without a driver. And then eventually, I mean, we could redesign so many concepts of uh, technology that we have currently, right? Like uh, cars or any type of vehicles, they can be designed and uh, manufactured in the future without um, without a steering wheel, without, you know, the gas pedal, the brake, anything like that, any of the center console, those will all be essentially, uh, unnecessary. I mean, everything like trains, planes, ships, uh, so many of those are already, um, operating on some form of autonomy already. And I think vehicles, you know, it's, it's, it's our time. <laughs> Car transportation is statistically one of the most unsafest way to travel out of all of those that i just listed the you know by plane train or ship um cars are definitely the most dangerous and i think you know having some form of autonomy could really change that (laughs) that's so true i think about my death all the time when i'm driving because like usually you have to like take action to to die like you have to step off of a building or something this is getting real dark before driving you have to take action to not die you're actively steering the wheel and focusing and being so present, especially in driving down these whiny ass roads in LA with like the drunk drivers there and shit. Like it's so scary when you think about it, you have to like actually like focus to not die. Cause one wrong move, if you like lose control of the wheel, like it's, it's so scary. Yeah. It's amazing that we let humans do this thing. Yeah. It's so crazy. It is definitely um, one of the most complex things we do as a human, almost like playing chess. Um, And we, we do it, you know, so many of us do it every day and almost like subconsciously that we don't, sometimes we kind of um, don't even realize, or we kind of forget how, um, how complicated driving really is and how much is at stake, you know, not just us personally, but everybody around us. And um and why not make life a little more efficient for us? You know, you have self-driving vehicles or you have, you know, driverless vehicles. You're able to save on how much time, how much more time. Think about how cities um, could be repopulated. Um, you, know, you know, it's kind of like how COVID, the COVID pandemic has really made us realize that um, things about rent in LA and New York City. Well, now that nobody, everyone is working from home, you um, you don't really have that com- the competitive rates for real estate and for for rents nowadays, right? And you that's kind of in your specialty. So how will autonomous cars and autonomous travel change that in the future? You know, if I could just jump into a car and sleep for two hours on the way to work, um, or you know, get ready in that time instead of having the stress of sitting in rush hour traffic or anything like that. You know, how is how is how is our future really going to look? <laughs> That, well, that means people can live farther because they don't have to worry about commuting. 
Right. And what will that do to rent and real estate? And <laughs> it will like, I mean, right now people are already talking about the flight to the suburbs because of a pandemic and we're not seeing the flight happening among people. Like if you want to be in the city, you're going to want to be in the city. You don't go from wanting to be in the city to wanting to be in the suburbs because they're so different. And the people who are moving to the suburbs, which is my talking point that I always do for like my interviews for work. It's like, tell me about the urban, like suburban divide and like people migrating to the suburbs. And I'm like, it's just speeding up the natural attrition process. People who want to be in the suburbs eventually are moving to the suburbs now because mortgage rates are low and because COVID, they don't have to go to the office. But like if commuting to the office were easier, people who want to be in the suburbs will still go to the suburbs and people who don't want to be in the suburbs will still be in the city. Like there's facts about the city that just make it more desirable. Like I would never live in the suburbs if I had the choice. That's fucking boring. Like who am I going to swipe on? Uh, in the suburbs like everyone has a fucking blue lives matter flag or like a truck that has wheels that's like inversely proportional to the size of their dick like you know you have to be in the city man <laughs> yeah small dick energy for real huh? <laughs> no yeah. i like you i mean yeah all of us i think we you know we're we're on the same page where we are going to be city people um you know for forever for our lives <laughs> so what is like do you consider Vegas a city? Like, what are the people in Vegas like? I want to hear about the fake news and stuff that you've been telling me and, like, the mob money and the media. Like, that sounds insane. <laughs> right. So living in Vegas is um, has been a real eye-opener because we're such a media-heavy city. And, I mean, any 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 tourist trap will tell you in the world that, you know, first impressions really, really do matter here. And it's all about how you present yourself. So, of course, you know, you want everything to look good and you want and that includes, you know, having low crime rates, you know, and low uh, numbers of homelessness and uh, amongst other things. And of course, that's not always going to happen. Um, I mean, you know, you're not always going to have really low, nice, cool temperatures and, <laughs> and whatnot. Um, and there, that's where you have to get into, um, I love Vegas. Living here as a local, uh, really gives you a really good perspective from the other side of what you see. Um, I mean, there, when I first moved here, there were so many, so many things that I would never see, uh, make it to the news. There's, there would be so many shootings, even on the strip downtown. Um, there would be, a, a lot of a lot a lot of you know suicide jumpers here um and those you also don't um you know you'll you'll they'll they'll never make it out to to the media when you think of vegas you don't really think of the human trafficking capital of the country you want to have a positive outlook on your community because you um your economy essentially thrives on it so um i think it comes down to how far are you willing to go to um to create this perfect image right and did you know the the united states we lead the world in government requests to move uh to remove online content (laughs) and so of course censorship is a huge thing that you know we Google, Facebook, they have to go through all these battles. And, um, you know, we see, we see them, we see these debates going on, um, from day to day, you know, where, where does free speech end and where does censorship start? And, um, and what, what, what will the world look like 10 years from now? Right. Even when I was studying cybersecurity, uh, these textbooks 
may only be a year old, but they're already out of date. You know, it's, it's, you have to constantly, um, constantly keep up with everything that's evolving and adapting. And you hear about so many cyber crimes where there was no law explicitly stating, um, that what this cyber criminal did was illegal. Right. <laughs> and then we, we get into a lot more like uh, corporate related worlds, you know, where does your privacy end, um, through emails and, um, who is really allowed access to these, um, personal versus, um, you know, corporate and, uh, you know, where, where does that end? Right. <laughs> Where does that end in an ongoing battle, in an ongoing legal battle? Because nobody has really drawn those lines out for us. There's a lot of tech that's made our lives a lot more convenient during COVID, right? Um, you, we just want to be careful so that none of this technology is being used to exploit you know, our data and our personal information and our privacy. Because it would be very easy to say that, well, we need to track everybody even more vigor- vigorously now and to be able to um, uh, be able to scan the status of, you know, our temperature and things, our medical conditions, um, things that are personal that shouldn't be um, really released out there to the world, but is more and more every day. Like you can say you're doing all of this in the name of safety, um, but at what cost when you're infringing on people's privacy and privacy rights? Do you remember when you said make 1984 fiction again? Yeah. Oh my God. There was that shirt on some like meme thing that I follow that was like, make, make, make Orwell fiction, fiction again. <laughs> right. Um, but <laughs> it's yeah, it's exciting and really daunting at the same time. I mean, going to CES every year and being able to see the 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 range of the technology already. Um, I mean, you know, people are scared of facial recognition systems nowadays, but uh, technology has already shown that we're already past that. Even if you put on a ski mask today and went out to rob a physical bank, um, they they would still be able to recognize you and identify you even just from the way you walk and the the statue, your build, everything. Um, so you know, we we I think we're already past. If you can imagine it, it's it's already out there. <laughs> Holy crap! That's so insane. I didn't know that. I walk really weird too, so that'd be extra easy to catch. Maybe you should wear some stilts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> but just, you know, basic expressions and anything like that. Um, but yeah, I was really inspired to get into, um, to become a hacker, or I'm sorry, a digital forensics scientist because of, <laughs> um, <laughs> because of um, everything, uh, a lot of sci-fi. I think sci-fi has always been kind of my favorite genre. From your time in Vegas, you know that the news selectively reports things. Like, I remember you talking about the protests in Vegas, and this is something I wanted to touch on, like how you said that you were like literally had to f- run for your lives. And that's not what we see in the news. In the news, it's like always making the protesters out to be the bad guys. But like, what was your experience yeah. in Vegas? Um, and there are, I mean, there are some videos from Vegas that have gone viral um, just from the protests because of... Um, because of the police brutality um, here, and you know, to go viral <laughs> internationally is a is a pretty big deal. 
you you know you know something is really happening um because of that and i mean we have had reporters and bystanders um arrested um and i've had i've seen i've seen all of that with my own eyes as well yeah, so even when the city acknowledges that there will be bystanders and you know um reporters there with press badges and credentials um there that they that they still get arrested um or that they are still you know being shot at um, or tear gassed, it, it really is unfortunate. And I think it really speaks a lot to, um, for a community, um, to be in that kind of situation or, you know, this is, this is your life right now. Like I could, I could open my front door and I, and I can see that. And, um, and that's, that's really too bad. Or, you know, like even when you're driving to work and you see something like that happening, it makes you really think twice about where you really live and, um, crazy it's like you have such an international perspective of the world and then you come to the back to the u.s and you like see things in a different way because you've lived elsewhere interacting with people from everywhere and what's what's really shocking to me is um i mean there is a protester here that was shot and um and you part you you never you never see it on the news i mean um this guy was shot and killed um while he was on the streets and um, you know, there's no really, there's not much, there's not much media on it. You know, there's not, um, I guess like not really much investigation towards it. It's just kind of, uh, while it happened and you know, this is it and it's, it's fine. <laughs> right. And that's, that's kind of scary to think about, huh? Cause I mean, that could be anybody that could be you next and they're just, don't even know the guy's name (laughs) this kind of goes back to where we say where in the name of safety where do our rights end right because um do we really want to live in a future where there is no judge or jury um just you know just people that make decisions um whether or not you're a threat to this world and then eliminate that threat Oh, I guess I just, yeah, I also really like living in Vegas because, or or being back on the West Coast because it gives me so many opportunities in LA to do martial arts and um, any kind of art project that I would like to. And like you, you're doing your podcast and and me, maybe (laughs) I do. And with me, like, yeah, martial arts, maybe like a little fight choreography. And I think, I think that's the beauty of it all. Like the American, chasing the American dream, right? (laughs) There's just so many possibilities. And I think the lesson here for people our age is just that you can do whatever the fuck you want to. Like, I'm tired of all these fucking finance bros and tech bros going into finance and tech because it's the thing to do because it's like on the checklist of like what to do next that is considered conventionally successful. When no one grows up like as a kid thinking like, oh, I want to be a banker thing. Like people do these things because they're stable, but people have hobbies. Like pursue your genuine passions. Find a job that gives you the hours to do that. If you're passionate about money more than anything else, then find a job that makes you money and like still lets you use that money. Like don't fuck finance. Um, everyone can choose to be what they want and the possibilities are really endless. I mean, this is all uh, so many things that I never would have imagined myself doing as a kid. And, um, my imagination has only grown, um, as I've gotten older. So I really appreciate that. Um, to, you know, being able to get a taste of everything in the world and not being, um, you know, kept in a box, so to say. I kind of feel the same in that I don't find a sense of home anywhere, maybe in California the most, 
But I could literally be anywhere and survive and enjoy it. And I'm not that attached to places that I go. Like, it's easy to leave places. Um, right. Like, if I get hurt in California or if I'm tired of it, I'll just fly to New York and stay there. Same thing. New York, I was miserable. COVID happened. We're from home, immediately came back to California. And you can go anywhere, too. It's so much freedom. Yeah, it's like being a bird. Um, it's like being a bird. <laughs> you yeah. don't ever to be just caged somewhere. And I think... Um, you know, it's not it's not bad to have a home, but it's it's nice to have you know multiple places or people that you can call home. So good talking to you. Yeah, good talking to you, Pharaoh. I can't. Ex- I call you Pharaoh still. So. Well, too. thanks for being on the podcast. I'm excited to have this episode out. All right, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I will see you guys in the next episode.